0: Fantastic, we're just going to spend a few moments looking at God's Word, uh, having experienced just seeing these guys getting baptized. Wonderful day. Um, so while uh, Tom and Peter finish putting the uh, covers back on the, on the pool, uh, would you like to be turning to Hebrews chapter 10? For those of you who are not here most of the time, we are looking at a series through Hebrews and today I'm, we are sticking with the, the passage we've got to. Uh, But we're really going to look at one phrase, primarily, from this passage. And reflect on what we've seen in people getting baptised. Reflect on this wonderful Saviour, Jesus. So we're going to look at Hebrews chapter 10. I'm going to read from verse 19 to verse 31. So Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19. to cleanse us from a guilty conscience, and having our bodies washed with pure water, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. If we deliberately keep on sinning after we've received the knowledge of the truth, No sacrifice for sins is left, but only a fearful expectation of judgment and of raging fire that will consume the enemies of God. Anyone who rejected the law of Moses died without mercy on the testimony of one or, of sorry, the testimony of two or three witnesses. How much more severely do you think someone deserves to be punished who has trampled the Son of God underfoot? Who has treated us an unholy thing, the blood of the covenant that sanctified them, and who has insulted the spirit of grace. For we know him who said, it is mine to avenge, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a dreadful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. As I say, we've read all those verses. Those of you who were here the last time we were in Hebrews will know we looked at verse 19 to 25 before looking at this wonderful sense that we can draw near to God. He's brought us into a place of, if we're believing in him, he's brought us into a place of faith that we can hold on to unswervingly. And how he's brought us into a family where we can encourage one another. This morning, actually, I just want to take a step back and almost to look a more... He says it, he just throws it out there. We've been brought. Uh, we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way. By a new and living way, by the blood of Jesus. And a, a way opened up through the curtain that is His body. God has provided a way. God has provided a way. And what on earth is that all about? It can sound like. If we know what it's about, we think, wow, we understand it. We got it. It makes sense. A new and living way. Otherwise, it sounds like a slightly strange phrase. What is this all about? Let me say this is what it's all about. This is what everything is about. This is what life is about. This new and living way. This is what those who've been baptised have been testifying to. That they've been saved By and through this new and living way. So we're going to ask some questions. Three questions. Firstly, what is this new and living way? It could be a question of what. In fact, it turns out to be a question of who. Who is this new and living way? Let's look again at verse 19 and 20. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus... By a new and living way open for us through the curtain. That is His body. It's His blood. It's His body. It's all about Jesus. Jesus is central to everything. We've sung it already this morning a couple of times, but John 14 verse 6, we see even Jesus is saying it himself. I am the way and the truth. And the life. Is the microphone a problem, Grant? Shall I swap? You'll play. Okay. If anyone gets distracted by the, uh, the booming sound, you can wave at me. Is it, too, is it too far away, Tom? It's too far away. Will it stay? We can have fun. Just me playing with the microphone all the time. What do we reckon? Is it going to work? I think that's, it's already sounding slightly better. We'll see. We'll carry on. Jesus is central to everything. John 14, verse 6, I am the way and the truth and the life. We sung it in those songs earlier on. We sung, well, we sang it, singing it back to Jesus. You are the way and the truth and the life. Or again, in a song later on, he's the way, the truth, the life. Kind of reminded me of what Phil brought earlier on as well. He got lost, he got a bit lost in London. but He was able to find the way. He looked at the map and he worked it out. But just reminded him, look, God, he's the one who knows the way. Jesus is the one who knows the way. hes He is the way. The writer to the Hebrews and in fact the entire Bible points us to the fact that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, he is central to it all. He's central to this writer's message. In fact, he is central to the whole Bible. If we look back at the beginning of Hebrews in chapter 1, verse 1. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he's spoken to us by his son. And with those words, the whole book is about the coming of Jesus, the son of God. The fact that Jesus has come, the fact that Jesus has made a new way. It's all about him, but the words here, it's not just that it's about Jesus, but it's about what he has done, who he is and what he has done. It's by his blood. It's by his body. It's by, if we look back on verses slightly before in Hebrews chapter 10, it's by his sacrifice for us. You see, this new and living way is opened up for us by Jesus' death on the cross. Paul declares it in 1 Corinthians 1, verse 23. What is his message? What is the message that he proclaims? What is the message that he's proclaiming to the Corinthians and everywhere he goes? In 1 Corinthians 1, and verse 23, but we preach Christ crucified. It's a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles, but to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, it's Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. This is what Paul preached. This is what everyone throughout the Bible preached. This is what we preach. It's about Jesus and his death. His death on a cross, but also his resurrection. Jesus crucified and raised to life. It's a wonderful truth in Hebrews chapter 10, this is a new and living way. And we see that even in Jesus. He died, but he rose again. This new and living way is not some kind of dead rule book that we look up and think, ah, oh, What do I need to do here? Okay, I suppose I have to do this, or I have to do that, or I have to do this. Actually, if you look through the Bible, you find all sorts of good things that are good for us to do, and wonderful things for us to build our life on. But the truth is, we're not just following, in that sense, words on a page. We're following a living saviour. Reminded again, yesterday we went on a walk. Ben and Chris organised a walk through the peaks, Uh as a kind of belated celebration of their 40th birthdays, And of course, in finding the way you can look at a map, you can look at signposts, but actually I was thinking all the way through, actually there were people in front of me who know where they're going. Thankfully, that was true. (laughs) I didn't check, but it was true. There were people there who knew this route so well, they knew this area so well, they knew what they were doing. They knew where we were going. The truth is, as we walk through life, there is someone for us to follow. There's someone for us to follow. This new and living way is the living Jesus. And we can follow him. We can know him and we can follow after him. So you see, when people have been baptised today... They're not just saying now I want to follow a rule book or I've decided that this group of people are quite nice so I'm going to join with them and that's, that's all it's about. They're identifying, I died with Christ and I'm raised with him and I'm living for him. This is the new and living way. Jesus Christ, the son of God. But we have to ask another question. What, what is it the way to? What's the point? Why Why did Jesus come and die? Why did Jesus come, die on a cross and rise again so that we can follow him? What, why? Was there any need? What was the point? Well, the writer of the Hebrews tells us this again in verse 19. What has the blood of Jesus and the body of Jesus done? Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we now have confidence to enter the most holy place. You see what that's talking about is that we have confidence to come into the presence of God. We have confidence to come to God. You see what the writer of the Hebrews is taking us back to is the fact this is all about God. This is all about Him, about coming to Him, about relating to Him. We can go all the way back to the beginning of the Bible. To Genesis chapter 1. And right at the beginning, what do we see in the beginning? In the beginning, God. It goes on to say that God created the heavens and the earth. But in the beginning, God. The Bible tells us, God is there before everything. God is the one who is above everything. God is the one who is in control of everything. The Bible describes him as the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. God, who we know as being Father, Son and Holy Spirit. You see, John opens his gospel with similar words. In the beginning was the Word. And by the Word, he's talking about Jesus. In the beginning was Jesus. And Jesus was God. And Jesus was with God. So we see... Both at the beginning of Genesis and at the beginning of John, we see actually right back, way back, it all started with God. It's all about him. And we could go on through Genesis 1 and we see, yes, he makes... God creates everything. God creates the world. He creates the universe. We see this awesome, mighty creator God. We're reminded again earlier on by Wendy... He's the one who was and is and is to come. We're we'll reminded straight away, he's an awesome God. It all starts with him. And in fact, so many today would, would argue that ah, there is no God. What are you talking about? There is no one there. There is no other being or spiritual force or whatever you might want to say. Science has proved that he's not there. We we don't believe in fairy tales anymore. You can believe in your giant pixie in the sky if you want to. But the Bible's clear. Everything started with God. Everything is held together by him. Everything exists because of him. As we go on through the creation, we see God made man in his own image. God made man to have relationship with him. If you re- if you want to look back later at those early couple of chapters of Genesis, we see Adam and Eve relating with gods. God walks with them in the garden and he has perfect relationship with them. We see this wonderful, awesome God who's a loving, good God. He wants relationship with his people. But it doesn't take long before we see a major problem enters the situation. In Genesis chapter 3, we read of what is, what is called the fall. The fall. But all that really means is that Adam and Eve, who were in perfect relationship with God, decided actually instead of listening to God and what he has said, we're going to do it our own way. Oh, God said, don't eat from this tree. Oh, well, actually, I quite like the idea of eating from this tree. And you you hear of the serpent, the devil coming in and whispering in their ears and saying, well, does God really love you? Does, did he tell you not to eat that? Will he really die if you eat that? And they're kind of convinced, well, maybe we'll just do our own thing. And you see from that moment, everything changes. Their perfect relationship with God has been destroyed. You see, the truth is that's the reality for all of us. Paul tells us in Romans uh, that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We all have. Everyone. We look back and we see Adam and Eve. Well, yeah, we see they disobeyed God, but we can look in our own lives and think, well, I'm I'm, alright, I've done okay, I kind of get things right most of the time. Actually, if we really look and think about it from God's perspective, we've all messed up as well. And you see the effect that that had back in the garden. We understand a perfect holy God and sinful people can't really mix. This can't work. Where before they had perfect relationship, now... This isn't going to work anymore. We see this initially so practically, in that they had to leave the garden. They had to go from God's presence. They had to go out beyond the garden. We see we've seen an awesome, mighty God. We see a loving, good God, but we see also God is holy and just. He is perfect. And you see, the truth is, God is rightly angry at sin. God is rightly angry at our rebellion, at the fact that we've turned away, at the fact that Adam and Eve took that apple when it... It wasn't an apple necessarily, it was fruit of some sort. Just to put that on the record. I've thrown myself completely. (laughs) That Adam and Eve took that fruit from the tree. God is rightly angry. He's rightly angry. You turned away from me. The perfect God who made you, who created you, who put you in this wonderful, beautiful garden. He's rightly angry at sin. But you see, as we we kind of head back to where we find ourselves in Hebrews, we see God had a plan. His perfect plan to bring his people back to him. A perfect plan to call a people back to himself. You see, we also see a glorious, merciful, a gracious, merciful God. You see this plan to bring people back, we see it foreshadowed all the way through the Old Testament. And we've seen specifically in Genesis, uh, Genesis, in Hebrews chapter 10, of the wonderful truth that the law that God gave his people, the law that God gave to Moses, On the mount, on Mount Sinai, foreshadowed. It was a shadow of the good things that were coming. But we see all through, and you can read that in Hebrews 10 verse 1, but we see all through the Old Testament, God is showing us, look, I'm bringing a plan to bring you back. You see even right in the garden in Genesis 3, God tells the snake, the serpent, the devil, you see the woman, one of her offspring is going to crush your heads. One of her offspring is going to crush your head, snake. You see, it's a picture even back in the garden. Look, one day, Satan, one is going to come who is going to deal with you. It's going to deal with sin. It's going to deal with death once and for all. And on we go through the Old Testament. God calls Abraham, a man who was living in a particular place in the Middle East. He says, come to a place where I show you. Come, I'm going to make you a great nation, a great people. And then he says to him, and your offspring will bless the whole earth. And we go on through Isaac, Abraham's son and Jacob, and, and on through the descendants. God calls his people out of Egypt. He says, come, come and worship me. He establishes them as a nation. He gives them the law, this wonderful law that was a shadow of the good things that were coming. But Ultimately, it was foreshadowing something else. Something greater, something wonderful, ultimately leading to this new and living way. That new and living way, we've already said, Jesus coming and dying on the cross. The new and living way, it leads us ultimately to that hillside, till on that cross as Jesus died. Jesus, Jesus, he's the one, he's the snake crusher. Jesus, he's the one, he's the law fulfiller. Jesus, he's the one who is the world blesser that God said to Abraham. Till on the cross as Jesus died, what? The wrath of God was satisfied. The wrath of God. You know, this right anger of God against sin was satisfied on the cross. So what's the point? What is the point of the new and living way? What is the point of Jesus coming and dying? God sent Jesus to bring us back. To pay the price for our sin. To deal with the problem, the void that had opened up between us and God. That said, actually, in the beginning Adam and Eve had perfect relationship, but now we can't have a relationship with him. Why do we need it? The sacrifice pays the price. The price For sin. Hebrews 10 and verse 11 and 12. You see, this was the old way. Day after day, every priest stands and performs his religious duties. This is what the Jews knew. This is what they saw. This is what they saw that the priest would go into the temple again and again and try and make things right. You'd make a sacrifice, make a sacrifice, make a sacrifice. But day after day, again and again, he offers the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when this priest, Jesus, had offered for all time one sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. See, this was the point. Jesus came to offer a perfect sacrifice so that sin could be dealt with. You see, we only really understand, we get to understand what Jesus has done, and the point of why he's done it, the point, why did God send him? When we understand the problem of our own sin. When we understand the problem of sin in the world, the fact that actually, we as human beings have gone our own way. We've turned away from God, and we're lost. Like Phil was reminding us, we're lost. we were lost in sin. But you see, because of this new and living way, what do we see? Verse 22 in Hebrews 10. Now, because of that, let us draw near to God. With a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. This was the point. This was the point. New and living way. Jesus came and died so that we could be made clean and come back to God's. And you see, even there, we see that allusion to what's just happened earlier on today. We see that allusion in talking about bodies washed with pure water. What's happened? All these six men and women have gone down into the pool. And they've said, This is what's happened to me on the inside. This is what God has done for me. I've been washed clean. I've been washed clean. I've been washed clean because I died with Christ. Romans 6 and verse 1. What should we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. Um, I know at least one, if not many, of those who were giving testimony were talking about that wonderful sense of, "Look, that old life is gone. That old life is gone. Now I'm living with Christ. I'm living for him. I'm living in him. It's his life." Look, I have been crucified with Christ, died to my old way of life, and now I'm raised with Him. I'm forgiven. I can relate to God. So why do we need this way? Why was it necessary for Jesus to go to the cross? That's the writer to the Hebrews is saying in one way or another. So we could be forgiven. So that we could be saved. So that we could be drawn back to God. So that we could come to Him. That's the truth. That's the wonderful truth. Therefore, that's why a day like today is such a joyful time. When people say, this is what's happened for me. Jesus has saved me. And so I'm getting baptized to show everyone. That's the truth. This is, this is a happy day. This is a wonderful day. It's a wonderful sign that something wonderful has happened. But the writers of the Hebrews provokes us to ask a third question in the verses that follow. Is there any other way? Is there any other way? Now we're going to look at verses 26 to 31 in some more detail another time. Because there could be a very quick summary. You see that there, there's some quite difficult verses. There he's not Holding back, he's giving stark, harsh words in some ways. But this is the key, this is what screams out of these verses. Jesus is the only way. Jesus is the only way. There is no other way. I was intrigued, you know, all the little titles that get put in your Bible, they're not part of the scripture, by the way. But I was reading one copy of a Bible and it had a title over the section from verse 26 and it just said Christ or judgment. And actually, that's not a bad summary. Verse 26 tells us, if we deliberately keep on sinning after we've received the knowledge of the truth, no sacrifice for sins is left. Through the whole passage, he's bringing to our attention. If we reject this, if we turn aside from this wonderful truth that we've just been talking about, this wonderful sense, Jesus came and died for me. Then there is no other sacrifice. There is no other way. There is nothing else that can be done. Back to John 14 and verse 6. What Jesus said, I am the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. You see, sometimes we sing songs with the words, Jesus, my only hope. They're wonderful words. and I often find myself thinking in kind of two ways about them. In those words we can sing and we hear, Jesus, my wonderful hope. Jesus, my hope. You are my hope. How wonderful is the hope that we have in Jesus? But at the same time we see... The starkness of our position. The, our reliance on Jesus. Jesus, my only hope. There is no other way. In seeing, singing those words, in reading words like these in the scripture, we come to a wonderful right understanding. We need him. We need him. There is no other way. So today... As we rejoice in people being baptised, as we as we hear the truth. And we see with wonder again, this awesome God who created everything, who is perfect and holy in every way, has provided a way for us. For us, sinful, rebellious human beings, to come to him. To be forgiven, to be set free. That way through his son giving everything for us. Dying in our place. Dying our death. That we may have hope. And what a hope. What a hope. That from the sinful place that we were in, we can be with God. And acknowledge of course, in that sense, understanding that understanding that wonderful truth, that therefore, if we reject this way, this wonderful way, the fact that Jesus died for me, then of course, ultimately then there is no hope. No sacrifice remains, only a fearful expectation of judgment. So this is the new and living way. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, died and rose again. So that you may be set free from the power of sin. That your sin may be forgiven. That by coming to him, believing in him, you can know God. I would encourage you, if you don't know him today, then you can. You can know him. You can come with a similar testimony as those who got baptized. I didn't know him. I didn't know what what it was about. But then I heard the truth. One way or another, I heard the truth and I believe in Jesus. As Helen reminded us earlier, come and know that joy that comes from knowing him. For others, today might just be a prompt to hear the words of scripture, believe and be baptized. You've seen it today, it's been alluded to in this passage. Coming, cleansed hearts, but washed with pure water. It's An encouragement for you, if you've been holding back for any particular reason in getting baptised, come and testify to what God has done in you. Come and declare, my heart is cleansed, I've been forgiven, and I'm following Christ. And for all of us who've received this hope, who know this wonderful Saviour, who know God through this new and living way, Let's be stirred again at the wonder the wonder of this truth Jesus who died for us is risen and we can follow him amen